Hello and welcome back to the Fantasy Playmakers. What's up guys? It's Thursday, which means it's time for me to put out my positional rankings. And in this video, I'm going to be going through my top 30 running backs for week two. So hopefully this video can help you set your lineup and just give you a kind of general idea of where I'm ranking these running backs this week. While you guys are watching, if you're enjoying the content, all I ask is that you guys leave a like and subscribe to the channel. Also, let me know your thoughts down below in the comment section. This could be start sit advice, trade advice. If you have waiver wire questions, anything fantasy football related, I will respond back to you as soon as I can. I really appreciate all the weekly engagement on all of these videos. It's been super awesome to see. So I really appreciate that guys. But let's just get right into the video. Starting off at number 30, I have Jamal Williams and he had an absolutely massive week one performance. I feel like throughout the entire season, he's kind of going to be in this flex range. I don't think he's going to have, you know, as much usage as he did week one. I think that was kind of aided by DeAndre Swift being limited. And then also both these running backs just absolutely went crazy. I don't think you can expect that on a week to week basis, but still, you know, a solid RB3 play. At number 29, I have Leonard Fournette. It's going to be really tough to navigate this Buccaneers running back room throughout the entire season, right? Going into the year, Rojo was the guy who was drafted higher. Rojo was the guy who started that week one game. Then he goes out, he fumbles. I mean, Fournette had a really bad mistake, probably equally as bad, you know, gets a wide open screen pass, blockers in front of him, and he decides to volleyball it up into the air, but he was just not punished for that. Rojo was. I don't even think Rojo took another snap after his fumble. It was all Leonard Fournette. But then we're hearing now that Rojo is going to be the starter for week two. So we really just do not know what to believe. I do personally think Leonard Fournette should be the number one option this week out of that backfield, just because I think him and Rojo are probably going to be in a pretty even split for the carries. And then while Giovanni Bernard is still kind of gelling with this offense, it looks like Fournette is going to have a little bit of a receiving role. Plus, this is just a great matchup against the Falcons. They're going to be putting up a lot of points. So he comes in here at number 29. At 28 and 27, I have Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon back to back here. I normally do not like investing in this Broncos offense, especially in my starting lineup. But if you were going to do it, this would be the week. And it's because this is just a great matchup against the Jaguars. That Jaguars defense is absolutely horrendous. They're going to give up a ton of points. I think the Broncos are going to have a lead and they're just going to be able to run the clock out with both of these guys. So I think they have decent opportunities to get into the end zone. And so kind of high end RB3 plays. Then I have Elijah Mitchell here and he was a pretty tough guy to rank. I have him here at number 26, but it's just difficult to kind of navigate through this 49ers backfield. We know that Kyle Shanahan loves to use a committee. And throughout the entire offseason, we were hearing Trey Sermon is the RB2, Raheem Mostert is the RB1. And then Sunday morning, news comes out that Trey Sermon is a healthy scratch. You've got Raheem Mostert as a starter. He takes, I believe, two carries, then gets injured. Then Elijah Mitchell proceeds to take the next 19 of the team's 20 carries after Mostert went down. This is a little bit of a tougher matchup this week against the Eagles. And he would definitely be ranked higher if I knew he was a locked in workhorse. I'm not saying that this is going to happen, but I really would not be shocked if we get ready Sunday, you guys put Elijah Mitchell in your lineup. And then all of a sudden we have Trey Sermon operating as the RB1. That is just something that Kyle Shanahan does. I remember last year 
We were flipping between Jamichael Hasty, Raheem Mostert. We had Jeff Wilson thrown in there. It was all over the place. I do think he can end up being a very solid start this week, but I think you guys also have to acknowledge the risks that even though he looks like he's lined up to be the RB1, we really just cannot trust Kyle Shanahan. And we saw that firsthand on Sunday with his usage of Trey Sermon and Brandon Ayuk. At 25, I have Tyson Williams, and this is kind of a similar situation. This Ravens backfield is just very fluid. You just have so many guys there. You've got Tyson Williams, Latavius Murray. You've got Devontae Freeman. You have Le'Veon Bell. You've got these four running backs. You basically have three veteran options. And then Tyson Williams, who I don't think had even taken an NFL snap prior to week one, but he was operating as the number one. We know the Ravens team does not use one singular running back. So it really didn't bother me that Latavius Murray was getting carries. And what was actually pretty encouraging was that Tyson Williams was getting some work in the receiving game, which is really not something you see with these Ravens running backs. So for me, he's going to be a fringe RB2 this week. At 24, I have Josh Jacobs, and he's honestly a guy that I think if you can sell high on right now, you should. You know, he was very inefficient on the ground. He really didn't get a ton of touches. It was almost a dead split with Kenyon Drake in terms of their opportunities. So he really just was saved by his two touchdowns. Obviously, he's going to be getting that red zone work, but I just do not trust him on a week-to-week basis because I do not think this Raiders offense is very good. And so I think if you're banking on a touchdown from him every week, you're going to end up being disappointed. So he comes in here as a low-end RB2. I then have Saquon Barkley here at number 23. And I just think this is another week where you're going to have to lower your expectations for Saquon Barkley. This is probably a worst-case scenario for a week-two matchup. So first game back from the ACL injury, you know, he doesn't get a ton of work. 13 opportunities week one, 11 touches. That's probably about half of what he'd normally see if he was fully healthy. 10 carries, 26 yards, terribly inefficient behind that terrible Giants offensive line. One reception for one yard. He had three targets and it's a very short turnaround here on Thursday night football. And it's not like they're playing against a bad defense. They are playing against the formidable Washington football team defense. That defensive line is stacked. So there's just a lot of factors here coming together that make Saquon Barkley a very risky start. I think if you had two solid running backs behind him, I do not think it would be a bad play to sit him on your bench. I do believe he's going to return to that RB1 form. You just may have to wait until week four, week five, until he's really getting like 100% of the opportunities in this offense. I've got Kareem Hunt following him up here at 22, and I think this is a really solid matchup for Hunt. The Browns are going up against the Texans. I expect the Browns to go up early, and when the Browns have a lead, they just pound the ball with Hunt and Chubb in the fourth quarter. That's where those guys really just break the game open. They ice it, and that's where they get a lot of their production. So I feel confident starting Hunt. At 21, I have Miles Sanders, and I was pretty encouraged by his week one usage. You know, he wasn't that clear workhorse, but I don't really think anyone expected that. I actually expected all three of the running backs to be involved, Sanders, Gainwell, and Boston Scott. But fortunately for Miles Sanders, it was just himself and Kenny Gainwell. So I think that's probably the best case scenario out of all the range of outcomes. This is just a tougher matchup this week against the 49ers. So we'll just kind of have to see how he fares. I liked his receiving game involvement, but I was just a little bit concerned that Kenny Gainwell was given that red zone touch especially considering that Kenny Gainwell does not have that workhorse size. So I don't know if that's going to continue. We kind of just have to wait and see. I basically have a string of these mid-round running back targets here. Miles Gaskin at 20, Chase Edmonds at 19, 
Damian Harris at 18. For Miles Gaskin, I think a lot of people were kind of disappointed in his usage. He was around, you know, 50% of the snaps. You had Ahmed and Malcolm Brown at around 25% each. But I actually thought this was decent for Gaskin. You know, obviously it's not his major ceiling of getting like 80% snap share. But I don't think, you know, people thought that was locked in. The positives here was that Gaskin was getting all of the important touches. He is the clear top receiving option out of that backfield. And also, I know he didn't get into the end zone on the ground, but we saw Tua have a rushing touchdown. Who was he running the read option with on the goal line? It was Miles Gaskin. So I think that bodes well for the future. I have similar feelings about Chase Edmonds. You know, we did see James Conner get a lot of touches, but I think that was almost entirely dependent on the game script. They went up early, so James Conner's that guy that's going to get it done on the ground. When they're in close games, Chase Edmonds is the guy that I think is going to be out there. He may lose out on some of those red zone touches, but I do think this Cardinals offense is going to score more than the Dolphins overall, so it's kind of just a trade-off here between Edmonds and Gaskin. I then have Damian Harris here at 18. He played very, very well, aside from a costly, costly fumble towards the end of the game. As long as he can stay out of Belichick's kind of doghouse here, we know he hates the fumbles, but if he can avoid that, he should be a solid option this week in a very favorable matchup against the Jets. I then have CEH here at 17. I keep going back and forth on Clyde Edwards-Alaire because he did get almost all the touches out of the backfield, which is really what you want from him, but it just seems like he's kind of the odd man out in this offense. You would think, you know, if you're using Hill and Kelsey as your two kind of primary guys, then CEH would be that number three, but it really just seems like all the production is so concentrated between those two players. And honestly, they just don't get into a ton of situations to run the ball in. It seems like they are never on the goal line. And when they are, you know, they're not trying to pound it up the middle. They're letting Patrick Mahomes make plays. So I'm kind of taking a wait and see approach on Clyde. But if he has a big day, I honestly could consider selling him. But we really just have to see what the usage is like. Then at number 16, I have Daryl Henderson, and he has to just be rising up the overall rankings for the rest of the season. If you are a Daryl Henderson owner, you should be ecstatic with his week one performance. He was in on 94% of the snaps, and going into drafts, there was controversy that he was going to be splitting carries with Sony Michelle. It was going to be a committee there. That is not what we saw at all. He was the clear workhorse, ran routes on 79% of the dropbacks. That was a higher percentage than Robert Woods. So if he's going to be the clear RB1 on a top-tier offense, that is a great, great spot to have Daryl Henderson here as like a high-end RB2. After that, I have DeAndre Swift here at number 15. And I really feel like the rest of these rankings could be flipped around in so many different ways. I really feel confident in all of these guys, basically from 17 to 1. He played great week one, and I do think he's going to have a higher snap share this week. I just want to see if he can replicate the target number he got in the last game, because eight receptions for two different running backs with him and Jamal Williams, that's what they did week one. I just do not know if they're going to be able to do that multiple games in a row. I'm pretty positive they're not. I still think he's going to be very involved in the receiving game, but he's probably just going to take a little bit of a step back. I have Jonathan Taylor here at number 14, and this is just kind of a tough matchup for him here against the Rams. I don't know how I'm feeling about this Colts overall offense. I don't know if he's going to have a ton of touchdown upside this year. You know, I was pretty encouraged by his work in the receiving game, but I just feel like it's a little bit of a trade-off. And since I am so confident in all these running backs ahead of him, that bad matchup just kind of lets him fall into the high-end RB2 range. After that, I have Chris Carson here at 13. I loved the way the Seahawks used Chris Carson. He was their workhorse. He was getting almost every single touch out of that backfield. And that is going to be a great role to have when you're in this high-scoring Seattle Seahawks offense. 
So just a guy that's a locked in, you know, low end RB1, high end RB2 every single week. I have David Montgomery here at number 12, and he looked amazing week one against the Rams. You know, in my opinion, I had never viewed David Montgomery as a super talented running back. In terms of fantasy, it seems like he was really only producing, you know, when he was the only guy available. He always seemed to be kind of a disappointment, you know, the first year and a half. But then going into late last year, when Tariq Cohen was down, they had no running back depth. He was getting almost every touch in that backfield and he was producing, but I still don't know if he was playing at like a top tier running back level in terms of real NFL performance. But from what I saw from him on Sunday, he looks great. He looked shifty. He had some speed and he did it against a very tough Rams defense. So I'm a big fan of David Montgomery going forward. Then I have Zeke here at number 11 and I actually just recently moved him down a few slots. We just got reports out of the Cowboys camp that Demarcus Lawrence has some kind of foot injury. He's going to be out. And there's just so many factors that are pushing this game to be another shootout. And this is definitely a much better matchup than last week against the Bucks. But I really think this Chargers offense could just be absolutely cruising through this Cowboys defense. And that's going to lead to another game script of Dak just passing the ball a ton. So I definitely think this is a much, much better setup than last week. But I still think, you know, this may not be the huge breakout week for Zeke. It's definitely possible. You know, I just think there are a few guys ahead of him that I feel a little bit more confident in. And one of those guys is Austin Eckler, who I have here at number 10. And he's one of these players that got a bump once I found out about Lawrence's injury, because that's definitely going to help this Chargers offense. He's just got to be more involved in the receiving game. I have to chalk up his lack of week one targets just to his injury. That's really the only thing that would make any sense. So I'm definitely looking for a bounce back game from Eckler. Then at number nine, I have Najee Harris. And if you're a Najee Harris owner, do not panic from his poor week one. I know he did not play well. The box score looked ugly and he did not put up any fantasy points at all. 16 carries, 45 yards, 2.8 yards per carry and then three targets, one reception, four yards. That's terrible in terms of production, but the usage was golden. He was in on 100% of the team snaps. There was not a running back on that team who stepped on that field when they were on offense. I mean, that's perfect. So this is kind of what I expected from Najee Harris. He's going to be getting that volume, but that offensive line is so bad that the touches are going to be very inefficient. But here's the thing, when they have better matchups, like they do this week against the Raiders, that is when Najee Harris is going to go crazy because he does have a monopoly over that backfield. So look out for a huge game from Najee this week. Then I have Antonio Gibson here at number eight, and it kind of seemed like he was going to be getting the same usage as last year where he gets a lot of the carries, but JD McKissick operates as that third down back. But that is not what we saw in week one. Antonio Gibson was very involved in the receiving game. And that was just perfect to see because that is really the key from him elevating himself from like a high-end RB2 to really kind of breaking into that mid-tier RB1 range. I really think he can do it this year, especially honestly with the injury to Fitzpatrick. They're going to rely on him even more. So he looks like a great play this week. I have Joe Mixon here at number seven. The usage was perfect. You know, this isn't a bad matchup against the Bears this week. So I expect them to rely on Joe Mixon a ton again. Then I have Nick Chubb here at number seven, and a lot of the reasons that I used for Kareem Hunt stand here. I expect them to go up early. They're going to pound the ball with Chubb and Hunt in the third and fourth quarter to close out that game, and they're going to put up some huge numbers. Then I have Aaron Jones here at number five, and then Derrick Henry at number four, two running backs that were just terrible week one. Terrible, terrible, terrible. They totally could have been reasons why you guys lost your week one matchups, 
but I don't think you need to panic. I feel like these were just two games that snowballed on them. And you know, for these running backs, once you get behind on the game script, especially for Derrick Henry, it's going to be hard to recover for that. And then for Aaron Jones, when your team scores three points and they pull Aaron Rodgers, like at the beginning of the fourth quarter, it's just not going to look good for you. I expect both of them to bounce back this week and show why they were picked as high-end RB1s. Then I have Kamara here at number three, Delvin Cook at number two, and Christian McCaffrey at number one. I feel like these three guys are probably going to be locked in at the number three slots for the foreseeable future. I just had Christian McCaffrey here at number one because the man is just matchup proof. He has a tough test this week against the Saints, but I really don't think it's going to matter. If he's inefficient on the ground, he can go out there and get you 10 targets. There's not a lot of running backs, if any, that can do that. So I love Christian McCaffrey as the RB1, and he'll probably be there for the rest of the season as long as he's healthy. All right, so those are my top 30 week two running backs. I hope you guys enjoyed the content. If you did, please just hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. Then also let me know your thoughts down below. I'll be responding to every single person who comments. If you wanna see more kind of content like this, I'm also gonna be putting out my wide receiver, quarterback, and tight end week two rankings today. So you guys can go check that out. Thank you guys for stopping by and I'll see you next time.